Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Negative Balance Podcast. It is finally here. My name is Sean Williams. I am the marketing director for the Business and Society Student Association. I am also your host. So welcome to everyone who is listening. And I'm really excited to be doing this podcast. I can't wait to have all these discussions with all my guests or if it's by myself, whatever it be. I'm really excited to be here. And today we have a very special guest. We have Professor Sonia Scott. I'd like to welcome her, welcome her to the show. Hello. So guys, um, today we're going to be talking about um, 5G technology and just how much of an impact it's making right now in today's world. You know, we hear a lot of talks about 5G and I know whether it has to do with mobile devices or even as far as is it the new wave of technology, is it going to take over different streams of technology, whether it's like self-driving cars or just how technology works in general. But, you know, before we get that, I do want to like give Sonia time to introduce herself. Okay. okay. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's really nice to be on your podcast and get a balance. Love the title, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm a professor in business and society. Maybe some of your listeners uh, know me, maybe not. Uh, I teach in the law and governance stream. I'm originally from Alberta, but I do ask that no one holds it against me. And I've uh, <laughs> been here in Toronto for 20 years. Um, what else would you like to know about me, like my research interests? or what uh, kind of Yeah, sure. I'd love to hear that. Okay, so... Um, I guess over my broad research career, I'm really interested in philosophy of economics and subjectivity. So what, what does economics say about us as people? Um, what's the philosophical background to that? What does it mean? Uh, but lately I've been getting into different sort of topics around economic crises and also about um, speculative capital like vulture funds who use litigation to go after uh, the debts of sovereign nations. Uh, really exciting uh, courtroom drama style things. Um, so that's that's sort of where I'm at right now. I'm working on a, on a new book starting uh, this year about oh, okay. uh, the idea of the economy and how that relates to crisis. So I think uh, in these COVID times, uh, things are pretty weird. And we hear a lot of talk about opening the economy, doing it for the economy. Even 5G really is um, about enabling a digital economy to function, the internet of things to function. So I'm really interested in where this idea of the economy came from, because people, even economists, don't know how to define it very well. Yeah. It holds a lot of power over us it makes us um feel like we need to do things it's a little bit of a boogeyman so <laughs> i'm uh, my new project is sort of looking at when that term sort of like developed which um from what i found is right after the the crash of 1929 during the great depression mm -hmm. and uh it's it'll be interesting to look at the parallels uh, as i do my research between then and today what's happening in covid uh and the way the economy is you know really rearing its head again um yeah yeah absolutely, so absolutely. that's where i'm coming from <laughs> and uh i teach in the law and governance stream in buso so i teach uh, some of your listeners may be taking the course or i've taken the course um it's um social science 2330 political economy of law policy and organization and it sounds long and boring um but it's not it's actually a really fun course 
uh, where we talk about different ways of doing economics, uh, what that means for different areas of law, and then the policies and big debates that we have every day in Canada from you know, what's going on with the lobster fisheries in Nova Scotia right now to what's going on with uh, hiring to what's going on with uh, police violence, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it all comes out sort of looking at how economics and law collide. And then um, that's, that's one of the core courses in the law and governance stream uh, in the second year level. And then I also teach a fourth year course called Corporate Governance and Business Law in Comparative Pro uh, Context. Mm -hmm. And there we talk about like corporations, corporate capitalism, and how they sort of use and abuse the legal regime uh, to establish a uh, uh, pretty great degrees of power. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty fun course too. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like that's my type of discussion, you know, just hearing stuff like that. And again, like it translates into like the contemporary societies. And it's funny how you mentioned the lobster fishery because, you know, I do have that as like a planned topic for this podcast nice. later on. So like, it's kind of like you read my mind exactly like what I was like planning to do. So that that's really great and you know like before we get onto the 5g i just want to like say like you know just with this stream like you know it's very interesting again like understanding you know how does like regulation work whether it's not just with businesses but again it could be like at the global sense like the global economy as well you know it's very interesting to dive into conversations like that you know yeah. I, I just want to say that personally yeah, and um, I, I mean, I really, I really, I'm obviously super biased given that I teach in the stream, uh, but I see a lot of people, they come in, they think, okay, I want to be a corporate lawyer, uh, and they leave, and they actually go on to do things that go well beyond just the idea, the blanket idea of being a lawyer, so um, I had a student in, in the law and governance stream, he took both courses with me, and now he's actually working uh, for the federal government helping to write policy on wow. privacy and data. It's amazing. Wow. Um, and I've had other students go on to uh, do really interesting joint JD MBA degrees, um, other areas of policy. So I think there's a lot of areas that are interesting and a lot of areas where we can actually influence the shape of, of uh, our policy discussions, every everyone's everyday lives. So, mm -hmm. to me, to me, it's like it's really it's really an empowering stream where you start to understand um, how to how to speak the language of economics and law, which can be intimidating, and yeah. how you can learn to sort of like contribute to the debate, and then you know really become your own thinker and start to contribute to these ideas. I think which is so important. Um, in our communities like we feel like experts are dictating everything but we can be the experts too so i am really biased i think it's a wonderful stream in that way um no that's yeah. no it's i i think like for you like how you're so passionate about it that's great you know and like i i really like to hear that you know there are some people you know they want to learn about a certain thing but surprisingly once they you know kind of go dive in with the course you know they kind of come out with something different you know and it kind of shows that you know based on the information, you know, it could really change how someone thinks about a certain subject matter. And, you know, I think that's really powerful. So, yeah, um, yeah I guess we can um, start this conversation now. 5G. Now, I know for my sense, like, I didn't know about 5G to, like, a couple months ago. And, like, that was when I heard, like, a report that 5G and the safety risk, what it could endure. And mostly, most of the reports were, like, it had to do with radiation and there's a lot of health issues, but 
basically 5G, it's supposed to be like this new technology wave where, you know, it allows for much faster gigabyte speed. You know, it's supposed to be more reliable than 4G LTE. And it's supposed to not only just be effective when it comes to like mobile devices, because that's what we usually relate it to, but it's actually supposed to have some say on how technology works in the world, whether it's like, again, it has to do with like simple as mobile devices, cell phones to bigger things. I know a lot of talk has come with self-driving cars, you know, and the automotive industry, you know, there's a lot of heavy hitters that are trying to like nail this down. And that's really where it's kind of been at this point. And in terms of that, when it comes to 5G, it's not really in the sense that businesses are kind of going back and forth, but it's more of like a global thing. And it's usually between US, China, Russia, and we all know how those groups kind of, when you mention those groups together, there's a lot of, I would say drama. That's kind of sounds like an understatement, but it <laughs> Drama's is about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, basically that's just kind of like how it operates so yeah like for me i wanted to look at it in like three perspectives so yeah the global sense and then i guess you would say i guess like the social economic sense like based on like countries and just how businesses would operate with such power for 5g and then the individual sense as well because as much as all these businesses and all these governments have saying on how 5g can work we we still have a saying and we have our critiques on it as well so you know i think it's important that you know we do hear what the individual has to say about it so yeah yeah so just to kind of start like on the global sense so again us and china those are really the main contenders they're going back and forth and basically it's this race to figure out okay which country could nationalize 5g first and you know we all know that trump he's trying to get all these wireless companies and he's trying to basically put it together and find this one huge telecommunications network that's going to go against China's Huawei because that's, that's their big heavy hitter. So like, I just want to ask you, is that do you see that as a problem because of just the sense how there are a lot of big monopolies, a lot of big telecommunication companies that, and again, we know how business works. They go back at each other. Like when it comes to like, the technological industry, it's probably one of the most competitive markets there. So like, do you see that as an issue, how Trump is trying to like figure out one huge telecommunication network to kind of go against China's? Or do you feel like maybe is he seeing this in the wrong sense of maybe not look at one to go against one, but just trying to use strength in numbers with those different businesses? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I can comment on what, um, the U.S. national strategy is. Um, I'm not sure if Trump necessarily has <laughs> a lot of coherent strategy uh, when it comes to a lot of things uh, regarding trade or <laughs> especially with respect to China. Um, but, but the issue here I think that's important um, is what's the relationship between uh, private um, internet providers, private telecommunication companies, and national governments in terms of establishing like large-scale infrastructure. Uh, so certainly that's a dance um, that uh, we play here in Canada, for example. Uh, so that's, that's a pretty important question. And when you're looking at a company like Huawei, of course, in the States, they're quite concerned about I mean, at least publicly what they say is they're quite concerned about if Huawei setting up the networks um, 
what does that mean? What kind of access do they have to data, right? And, and that's hugely important. And, and just to zoom out a little bit further to what you were talking about earlier, it's really important because one of the justifications for the 5G network is, of course, um, that it's going to increase speeds and um, capacities, reduce latency in terms of data transfer uh, for the Internet of Things, which refers to uh, all the different items that use internet, like your fridge that has internet or a drone that uses the internet or self-driving cars like you were mentioning. So there's a huge push from industry to get this set up and running. So I would imagine, I mean, this is completely speculative. I don't know that, I don't really know anything about the American uh, national strategy on this, uh, but I would imagine that it would be pretty important um, for most states to want to control uh, and regulate this infrastructure. Uh, that said, uh, Trump's inclinations generally around regulation and control uh, tend to be to turn things over to private industry. So my guess is his his attempt to at control would be to turn it over to American industry. But again, I don't know about any coherent plan on that level. So that's that's the big question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when it comes to Trump and the correlation to strategy, it's kind of like there's no answer to that. Cause again, this man seems to be very unpredictable on the fly, but yeah, I, I do see what you're saying in terms of like, you know, if he wants to connect with, you know, private companies as well. And again, we know how the private sector, you know, how much of a role that plays as well. And, you know, it, it, it does kind of dawn to me how he is trying to, again, go back and forth and trying to, I guess, duplicate China's strategy. Cause you know, we know that when it comes to Huawei, and they, their, their telecommunications has been like, this is not something that has kind of come up or been recent. They have been doing this and it hasn't really been the intention for 5G until the discussion has showed up now recently. But I feel like now it's like because of like outside pressure, he kind of feels like, you know, he needs to do something immediately. And I understand how crucial this time is with technology because we're not just talking about another software update to like an iOS or like a, an Android. Like we're talking about this could literally be how people operate in the world moving forward. Again, like whether it's, you know, like self opening doors or automated doors or something like that. Like maybe in terms of just like modes of transportation, something like that. There's so many aspects to it. So I can understand why, you know, he wants to get ahead, but I feel like, you know, and again, this is not just him. I feel like it's a lot of media today. No one is really focusing on the security risk as well, you know, because what happens if, let's say, we do nationalize 5G in the States and there's lots of people like, okay, which networks do I decide to stay with? Do I switch? Like, which one kind of goes through there? Because now it goes back to the same issue of private businesses and other companies battling for consumers. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you look at industries in telecommunication historically, right, these are industries that tend towards monopoly. Uh, in Canada, when we look at our telecommunications providers, we have some of the most expensive tele like cell service, for example, in the world. Uh, and so many people already criticized, for example, our government's capacity to regulate and control these industries, right? Now, when we're looking at something that's so immediately gratifying to consumers, like lightning fast cell phone service or your, your vehicles, uh, you know, GPS working that much better or whatever it is that people are after um, as consumers, uh, it's certainly going to be difficult to rein, to rein that in. And, uh, you know, I think that it's interesting to consider 
these industries that tend towards monopoly historically have been government controlled. So if we look, if we go back to something as arcane as telephone companies, uh, you know, these used to be state controlled companies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so this privatization uh, is, is really important. Uh, what that means uh, in terms of our capacity to regulate and make decisions about it is important. I mean, it's important to note here, too, that, I mean, in, in Health Canada's opinion, uh, 5G is safe. Uh, so if you, you know, for the conspiracy theorist COVID people out there with the uh, 5G, it's <laughs> that's not what's doing it. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy? Yeah. Um, However, uh, there, I know there are, um, you know, of course, a lot of dissenting scientific voices that say, you know, it's, it's fine to say it's safe and that it's within parameters in terms of what kind of uh, electromagnetic radiation is, is, you know, being put out there. Um, but we don't know what kind of effect that has on us until we've, until we've actually had time to collect data and, and do tests and studies. And so, you know, of course, some people believe this is a, you know, a big living experiment that we're engaging in and that we're rushing into it because of the pressures of business, uh, the pressures of technological innovation, um, the demands consumers have for mm -hmm. bigger, better, faster. And then, of course, I think that ties back in, of course, to the um, to the international race to have the best networks and, you know, the privacy and security concerns here are massive the the work done on the internet of things itself right what does it mean that your your fridge can listen to you what does it mean uh that every single thing you have is collecting uh, metadata um not just in terms of one's personal well-being but just in terms of how a population is monitored controlled uh, manipulated um, both by private companies and by potentially by security agencies or state agencies. These are, these are really huge questions. Some of the biggest questions I think that we face uh, coming up. So in a way, I, you know, I'm no expert, as I told you, in 5G at all. Uh, but I, I do like the question because I think it, it forces us to contemplate, I mean, some of the most basic, crucial uh, issues in regulation today about privacy, about state control Absolutely. versus private control, about um, about you know autonomy. Like you know how how are we even having an informed debate about whether this technology is a good idea, whether we need it, right? Are we having a debate about whether private companies should develop um, self-driving cars? Uh, look yeah. at the look at the the city project here in Toronto where they wanted to have um, the Google City. I mean, this is like uh, a private, uh, a privately run uh, jurisdiction uh, subject to total surveillance. Um, you know, how is that? How is that going to turn out? I mean, from from a from afar, if we look at it, it you know has the potential to turn into sort of a bad sci-fi novel, right? Uh, when we look at it closer, there's a lot of scholars starting to work on. Okay, well, how do we regulate and and can we really trust? the market to do this for us when we know that their motive is most certainly going to be profit and uh, achieving monopoly status. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like we've just kind of like trans like transitioned from the global aspect to again, just the business aspect as well. Cause like, you know, that's really where it kind of goes into like, you know, you have the individuals, they have their take and then the global aspect where you have all these countries going back and forth with all these policies and the businesses, like they're kind of like, the ones in here, like they're kind of centralized, but they're also the ones that have such a 
an output of how this goes out. And it's, it's great how you mentioned, you know, how Canada and again, the history of telecommunication. And like, I don't know, like, this is just what I think in my personal opinion, you know, it, I feel like when it comes to Canada, you know, there has been history where like, we tend to kind of like go off of ideas from other countries. Because again, when Canada kind of started growing, they were very small, you know, again, they were colonized at the beginning as well. So really, they didn't really have their own identity. I mean, obviously, that's changed now. But you know, there's still some, I guess, some history that's still implanted into them that kind of feels like, okay, you're kind of just playing catch up or you're kind of just going off from other countries as well, because you know, they develop it. And you know, I find it weird because, again, in the news, we hear a lot about the United States and China and Russia, but we don't hear a lot about Canada coming on board. Like, do we hear Trudeau talking about this? Like, how come we don't hear anything from that? And it's, it's like, do they really need to do it now? Like, is it really important? Like, it goes back to, like, the incentives of, like, incentives of individuals and just how, you know, how will, like, a fridge that could do all these technological advantages, how would that benefit not just me, because again, I know everyone's personal well-being is different. You know, you can't, it's hard to measure that. Like that's, again, that's more of a philosophical sense. But in terms of like a whole population, like what does it really do? I mean, more you can say just it brings profit to those businesses because, well, we're getting more people on board. And, you know, you can say that if, you know, if companies are able to do this, like this is like some level of corporate social responsibility. Like we're being socially responsible. We're kind of giving on into the demands of these consumers and we're making profit. So it's a win-win scenario for both of us. But again, I think with 5G, it's really hard to just kind of like find the answer to like, how do you regulate this? Because again, it's kind of so early into its stages. Like we haven't really reached to this next point where we can start actually evaluating and thinking, okay, you know what? So if this scenario plays out, how do we kind of handle this? Or if it goes a different way, who are the parties in involved and how do we manage that so again it's a very tricky subject but i'm i think that's the point you know it's not really about answering it to everyone listening like we me and sonia we don't have the answer we don't have everything we're not complete experts but it's glad to have these conversations to just open up the range of questions to it you know we have a lot of questions to ask sean that much is certain Yes. So like, absolutely. So again, I just want to keep talking about the individual sense. Like, again, for me, when I first heard about 5G, it was about, there's a lot of health risk, radiation, some people could um like, get cancer from it, like it was that serious. And you know, for me, like my first initial reaction was like, should I like take this to heart? Or should I just like think about it more? Because again, we know how news is like, there's a lot of fake news. And again, the concept of fake news can spread really quickly and it's about who actually believes into it or if you're able to come up with your own thoughts on it but I didn't just kind of like for me I didn't just kind of push it away I just like let me just think about it for a bit and then it went back to more than just the health risk but again like what's the use of it like how can it really be beneficial to me and again like there are some people who actually want to like you know critique other businesses or even a higher like sense like or a higher level which is again the government is saying like are you actually going to move forward in this stage like and again i know you don't know much about 5g uh, again i feel like i'm like just reiterating this again but you know from what we're just having this discussion right now do you feel like when it comes to like 5g like would it like just from your opinion would it be bad if they just kind of nationalize 5g and they try to test this out for a small period or do you feel like 
it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, we all know what the government's goals are and really our voices don't really matter at the end. Well, I mean, I, I can sympathize with that sense of sort of futility or nihilism. Sometimes it feels like um, it, it doesn't matter if you oppose it, business is going to win. Um, all of our major carriers want it. They want to offer you the most lightning fast uh, service. And they, they see the potential for um, you know, corporate um, accounts as well when it comes to these things. So I, I get the sense of futility and I try not to fall into that myself, um, just to stay sane. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that if we want to really assess sort of the safety of any new technology, what we need to do is we need to turn to our scientists uh, we need to uh, have the state fund, actively fund, and encourage robust scientific uh, work on the safety of these networks. Um, and they can do so in a way that isn't at all touched by industry. So we have to look really carefully at who's funding uh, different work and different studies on these networks, right? Because obviously sometimes studies, when they're, when they're funded by certain uh, groups or entities, they're going to be more prone to come up with certain solutions. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen this for various types of things, um, even at large universities in Canada, for example. I don't know if you ever heard about this, but back, oh, it was about 15 or more years ago at the University of Toronto, there was a study that found, um, and a group, research group there that found that Prozac was uh, causing suicidal thoughts in teenagers, for example. And at that time, of course, Prozac was, and, and a lot of antidepressants were really um, being pushed um, as being something that's both safe and desirable for people to use. And uh, the, the university attempted to cut and quash funding for the study, right? So these, these types of, um, these types of studies need, I think if they were supported by the government, um, by independent research, uh, granting agencies like NSERC, um, then I think we could we could really push uh, an aggressive agenda of research to investigate this. Now, whether there's a political will for that, um, a little bit, but not as much as we'd like, right? So as an individual, what I would generally want to do um, with these concerns uh, is turn to science, uh, turn to independent science, um, and independently funded that is you know and uh then and then do good research through peer-reviewed uh, studies so just to all your listeners just because you're not an expert doesn't mean you can't go read uh through if you're especially if you're a york student you have this golden ticket where you can read peer-reviewed journals for free because normally that stuff going to cost you a fortune if you try to look it out and you're not you don't have your library account yeah and you can actually go ahead and and a lot of the uh, you can find good reviews of studies even around things like covid or coronavirus today like if you go to the new england journal of medicine all sorts of good peer-reviewed journals of, of good reputation you can actually go and find very readable very understandable studies that summarize uh, the state of the art uh, in the field right so these this would be the way i would approach it um I think that a lot of the concerns around um, cellular devices, for example, and cancers um, stem from the fact that we, we keep them so close to our bodies. So um, 5G um, being in the air isn't the same concern as what it means when you have your phone near, near you. Um, but that said, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a Luddite, though. I just got this. I'm holding my cell phone. 
I just got this cell phone, like a proper cell phone this year. Like before that, I just had crap. I, I'm yeah. not even really interested. So <laughs> I'm old school. I like to write pen and paper. I love books. You know, this is my, my hey, so I don't think we need it. I respect, that. I respect that. And you know, a funny thing I noticed too, like, I, I don't know if this has happened to you or anyone who's listening, but what could happen sometimes that your fault, like your provider, if you actually go to your setting, sometimes you check to see your Wi-Fi or data, wherever you run on, it could legitimately, let's say you are on 4G or LTE, sometimes it actually switches to 5G. And like, you know, it's the most, it's the weird. And like, I don't know if that's like just a glitch or an error or if that's literally what they're trying to do just to see how it is like a pre-test just to figure out how this works. Because again, like carriers are going to have to be installed once 5G starts to, you know, if they actually want to run with it and nationalize it and based on like the wiring because like i watched a couple of videos on it the wiring it's like it would require a lot of carriers to be placed in different areas and you know again there's a lot of congestion with that and again if 5g starts to go in the air again that kind of increases the health risk and what does that mean for um for um rural areas because you know again where there's a lot of open space how does that work again with the the level of connectivity because again if you need a lot of carriers in a place like Toronto, where again, there's a lot of buildings, a lot of closed space, congestion, traffic congestion. What does that mean for open spaces then? It's yeah. going to be probably double that. So again, there's so much things that go into it that I feel like, I'm not saying certain people aren't addressing it, but it's not being heard enough. And again, just like Sonia said, like sometimes the best way to address these issues is just to kind of do some research of your own and just kind of look up the subject matter Cause there's a lot of people that see one post and they kind of just take it to heart and they kind of run with it, but they don't really have like the full backstory. So now they're kind of looking for missing pieces. It's kind of like a puzzle, you know, you, you're trying to put all the pieces together, but like you only got to like, you know, the main parts, like when, cause when you solve a puzzle, like you're looking for the edges, but like you didn't get to the middle yet. So yeah. I feel like for most people listening, just like, just have the time to just kind of research and like get better or just knowing what 5G is really trying to do and its intentions. Yeah, I mean, I think I think some of the I mean, some of the big questions around 5G, for example, have been um, interesting because um, a lot of people know that there are systemic answers to these questions. That it's that there's actually something bigger at play, and I feel like um, this is part of the reason why we might see conspiracy theories uh, being so appealing um, these days because if you you know if you you have a sense something's going on you know it's systemic and then there's maybe a group or a site or whatever who offers you a systemic explanation that's pretty easy to understand um, that can satisfy what is really like a critical urge you know that you want to understand the big picture um, but it it's it's a burden on us not to just simply look for the first easy answer that we get uh, and actually, you know, to do the hard work of, of, you know, doing proper research and making sure we're cross-checking and making sure that we're using all of our fantastic research skills um, to really go beyond, um, you know, conspiracy theories and, and get into complicated uh, explanations. Right. So I think, I think the impulse is so good behind all of this, right? People want answers that are systemic, that are meaningful, that that bring all of these pieces together. 
Um, and it's up to us to go to be careful when we do that and to be um, rigorous. You know, this is the nerdy professor side of me, of course, being like, do your research properly, <laughs> no crappy I, blogs. <laughs> I would even call it nerdy. Again, it just, it's just, I guess <laughs> it's true. It's the facts. It's just how it is, you know? So yeah. um, I do have one more question. And, you know, I feel like this one is like a very, like, it has a lot of like meaning to it. So, like, I think you mentioned about, like, surveillance. And, like, the first thing that came to my mind was surveillance capitalism. And mm -hmm. just how much that, that shows in our society today, you know. This wasn't, like, a concept that kind of came, like, just this year. It's been for a couple years now, I think, probably, from my memory, around, like, 2015-ish, around there. And, you know, just, it's really amazing how powerful this is. But a lot of people don't seem to recognize it that much you know like based on like different algorithms that get placed into mm -hmm. your social media apps you know like i know for people listening they could probably testify next thing you know you may be on your phone scrolling through posts you like something and whether you refresh the page you start to see more posts that kind of relate to what you just like and that's yeah. because like you know there's different algorithms that are kicking in and now reading your human behavior and saying, okay, this person would probably like this and that. So we're going to show more of this and less of something that they probably dislike. And, you mm -hmm. know, like, I find that weird, but at the same time, I kind of just laugh about it because, you know, it's amusing how, you know, you can say the government, they're able to tell how we think, how we behave and how we act and is, is able to apply it to technology and kind of get all these people on board. I feel like more people are on the internet than ever before. Like, you know, I feel like there's so many people like, I can't stay off my phone, I can't this and that. It's because literally you can say your life is on your mobile device. So like, that's really what it is. And with 5G come in, I feel like this surveillance capitalism, this concept is gonna be intensified, like even mm -hmm. further. So like. Would you say that if 5G does become nationalized, whether it's in United States, China, Canada, would you say that it would be like this new, new coming or this new age of surveillance capitalism? Or do you feel like, you know, it's just same old, same old? Um, so if we had an, so by nationalized, you mean like just installed nationally, that we had a nationally readily available to 5G network set up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I think that we're already in a state of pretty intense um, surveillance. I mean, and it, it's important not to take it personally, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not about you. It's, it's about, you know, groups and accumulating data. And the way the data operates is it operates through an economy of scale. So the more data a particular app has or the more data a particular company has, uh, the more they harvest, the better their AI is going to work, the better their, their algorithms are going to work in order to predict future behavior. So the more data you have, the better AI becomes mm -hmm. um, in terms of its functionality. So, I mean, we could, we could extrapolate that with increased um, service, right, with an increased uh, network of, of uh, devices that are connected to the internet and rely upon it and send data back, um, through, you know, all sorts of things. If we're using uh, drones for farming, if we're using um, automated cars uh, for public transport, if we're using uh, automated robots for production, and all of this is, of course, um, 
operating very quickly and, and made possible because of 5G technology, then yeah, I think we could say that it would, it, it would in continue to intensify that which is already happening. So I, I, would, I wouldn't point the finger at 5G. I'd say it's here, it's real, and 5G will increase the scope um, and capacity um, of this surveillance. Uh, but it's not the cause. It's not the <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, to your listeners, if you want to check out, there's a really great Canadian uh, scholar who works on this stuff. His name's Michael Geist, and he's like our foremost privacy guy in Canada. And he has you can he's got great YouTube lectures and videos and stuff. And he's basically said like for years now, for years and years, he said you know privacy is dead. There's no privacy. And like he wants us to have privacy, but it's dead. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's um, it's a pretty big, pretty real problem. And yeah, five G isn't going to help slow anything. It's only going to intensify the scope of what's already happening. Yeah. 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 I, I, and and law law around it's pretty toothless. If you if you start to look into privacy law in Canada, um, it's uh, it's pretty toothless. So I I guess it's up to us um, to figure out how we interact uh, in this world, right? Uh, do we put on our tinfoil hats and uh, lock our phones in safes and, uh, you know, send each other letters by carrier pigeon? Or, <laughs> or do we figure out how to negotiate a world where basically our data and our every move is commodified in order to sell more things to us, uh, to keep track of our political movements, to, to do all sorts of things? It's, these are big questions. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, the future is uh, exciting, but also frightening. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, this is not for like anyone listening to like, we're not trying to scare you, but like, no. it, this is the world we live in. Like there are like, like when, like, again, like, it's like you mentioned, Michael guys, like privacy is dead. Like, you know, nothing is really safe to you, you know? Cause like, again, you could be like having like certain things like that you think that no one would really know about. And next thing you know, you're, it's being spread on the internet like wildfire. So it's not trying to say that we need to just shut off our phones and not do any forms of communication. It's just more of like being aware of like your surroundings and being more careful. And mm -hmm. again, like, we just want to make sure that, you know, we're not going into this future that, you know, we're just kind of worried all the time or we're just completely like paranoid. But again, we're just aware of these situations, just figuring out how can we make things mm -hmm. a little bit better because again there may be certain situations that may not be fixed immediately so again i think it's important that we just have these conversations and figure out different initiatives that we can apply to just have a much more sustainable life you know i totally agree we got to go forward with our eyes open right looking for uh opportunities too right i mean if you think about it i mean mass automation um we think oh my god that will lose jobs. Uh, this could be terrible for, you know, the average person if there's too much automation. But that's only if we maintain property relations and wage relations the way they are. Imagine the, the capacity of all of this wonderful technology to actually liberate humanity from the drudgery that we, you know, of physical labor and, and hard work in this way. So I think with technology, it's not it's not in and of itself good or bad. Um, it's, it's how we organize ourselves around it. It's how we use it. It's how we help 
do are we helping the human community with it or are we just getting certain people rich right and so you know we can walk into the future with our eyes open trying to figure out how to how to use all of these technologies to best serve ourselves and our communities and i think there's there's a lot of work to be done in that and i have a lot of hope in uh the generation of, of students that's in university right now, you guys are going to have a lot of work to do. And I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of hope that you're going to be up to the task. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, that kind of wraps up our discussion. Thank you, Sonia, for coming on for the first episode of Negative Balance. I'm really glad that you came here. I know you're a very busy woman and, you know, all the stuff you have to do. I mean, we were just having a discussion earlier on, like you were like stuck in traffic and everything, but you know, it's hey. having to like push through. It's a, it's a pleasure, Sean. And uh, you know, good luck with the podcast. It's a great idea. And I hope you can convince my colleagues to join you as well. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. So to everyone listening, thank you for listening to the first episode of negative balance. If you guys want to hear on um, previous episodes we've done before from previous years, you guys can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. All the episodes will be up. I'm hoping to post at least two episodes a week. I say hope because you never know. Schedules get My schedule changes like weekly. It's not even like once in a while. It's weekly. It changes. So hopefully I can do that for you guys. If you guys want to hear more topics, just email us at york.buso.club at gmail.com. I'll be happy to talk about anything you guys want to hear. And yeah, so again, thank you, Sonia, for being on the show. And everyone, I'll see you guys very soon.